0: Wow, great, great songs of, of victory. And um, man, I just, uh, I'm not going to, but I just feel like saying amen. Let's go, let's go into the community. I hope you all are planning on staying today and um, being part of, of really pointing our community to Jesus Christ and his word. Uh, we wanna go out today in and, and many different ways and in different places, but really we just wanna be used to the Lord. You might not have planned on staying, listen, you can, okay, just, just remain today for a little while. Some of us have on blue shirts, so you don't have to have that, and right after the service today, we're going to meet Pastor Billy over here, and some of us will head out into the neighborhoods around, just point people to Jesus, just tell them about our church, or maybe later on downtown there next to Brown's Funeral Home or part of the nursing home, just today is a neat day for us just to be used to the Lord, and I invite you to it. Every one of those songs we sang today, just just really sung of the victory that Christ had over death, over sin, and brought us victory in him. Great, great singing. You know, it can feel like at times, like you're in a hostile environment, can't it? I mean, if, if, you're, if you open up your eyes and look, it quickly becomes obvious that, that we're in a world that is opposed to God and his righteousness. You see it in the news. You see it through entertainment. You see it on the streets. We live in a world that's opposed to God. It's a hostile world. But what we need to know today Several things. Jesus is victorious over sin and death. Know that. He has won the victory. And he is making it a reality. And one day, he will rule here on earth. And secondly, you and I are here for a reason. God has us here to point to the victorious one. That's why we're here. And it feels hostile at times. I understand that. It's tough for us to talk about hostility because most of us live such an easy life. Once in a while, though, I get to talk to somebody who who maybe had a a time in a war zone or or something, and you might wonder, why is he coming back and asking me questions about it? Because I just find it so interesting to, to peek into that environment, and we're gonna do that today. We're gonna peek into a battle to a battlefield, to the battle, when Jesus is going to face Satan and all of his destruction that he wants to bring upon him and upon humans, and Jesus is going to be victorious. Looking forward to that today. I want to say just a few brief words. When you came in this morning, you you were given a piece of paper. I want to encourage you to join us in our battle. That, we're, that we are preparing for. We've, we've learned of, of late that we've been asked by the, by the county system to begin moving out of this building, to set plans so that our time here will come to an end. And, and we take that as from the Lord. We take that as from the Lord. And so we are right now working and, and planning and praying, and you need to pray with us as we seek out an interim facility. Fall of next year, we'll be moving into an interim facility, Lord willing. Pray with us. Some of you still are coming in and saying, have you thought about this spot? Have you thought about this one? I thank you for that. Keep doing that. But in the meantime, while we have the opportunity, we want to make the most of it. And so starting in December, we're going to shift to having multiple services here. For, for the rest of our time here at Spring Mills Middle School, we want to have multiple services on Sunday morning. And honestly, this is to rock our boat and to push us to take advantage of this opportunity. And so next Sunday during the focus hour, on the 7th, from 930 to 1030, we'll all be combined in here. And I, I'm asking you to make sure you're here as you hear our plans for how we're going to do two services starting in December. And we want you to be involved because we, this is not going to be a function of Lowell. Or low and Billy. Or low and a few other people. No. This is a full body effort. We're calling for all of you to come and be part. And to to serve. And to work alongside. To point this school and this community to Jesus Christ. Because as has been said. Our connection is Spring Mills Community. It is not geographical. It is relational. But we've got nine months now. We've got nine months that we're going to be here geographically. And so we need to make the most of that opportunity. Say, what, what do you need? Everything. We need people to help out with children, with adults, with the ministries that happen here during our, folk, during our worship hour, with sound, with projection, musicians, prayer, set up, tear down, everything. We're going to double what we're doing. And so join with us. Join with us. Be on the team. Be on the team. I gave you a piece of paper when you came in this morning. I would ask you to fill that out. Have that ready the next week when you come in here so we can, just, we can put you in the right spot for where the Lord would have you to, to really be part of what we're, what we're, Lord willing, moving towards. Open up your Bible with you to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. I love this passage for many reasons. One, I love battle scenes. You know, I was just, just thinking about all the different movies that I just love. And I, I, I won't even go through the list, but just I love war movies. Just something about watching this, this conflict in front of me. I enjoy it. Now, I don't always like being in a hostile environment myself, you know. I don't particularly like I like watching other people in a hostile environment. I remember one time, one of the most hostile environments I was ever in was at the Washington Redskins Stadium. we have any Redskins fans in here? Are there any of you left? Yeah, there's a few. Okay, all right. Well, my son was an Eagles fan. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I know, I know. He is an Eagles fan. And so when he was about, oh, I don't know, 10, 11 years old, I, I surprised him, and, and we went to see the uh, Washington Redskins host the Philadelphia Eagles. It was a night game, and um, that's uh, wow, wow. Now, my son had a McNabb jersey, all right? That's when Donna McNabb was a quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. And he insisted against my counsel to wear his jersey to the game. Now, I didn't buy the most expensive tickets available. As a matter of fact, I went to the opposite extreme. and got the cheapest tickets, okay, which are like all the way up at the top, you know, where you got to start out on a, a climb this mountain range to get there to your seat. You know, you're climbing up a hill like that. And that's, that's fine. You know, that, 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 that's enough. But what we had to do, though, is walk through the redskin fence to get to the top of those stands. And of course, the way it happened to work, we were running late, okay? And so we get to the field, and there's my son. It's cold that night, but he had several sweatshirts on and his giant McNabb jersey over top of all of his sweatshirts, and up we walk. You know, it's funny, the higher you go, the worse they get. <laughs> By the time we get to the top, I and mean, we've, got, we've got cups of beer flying at us and trash and popcorn and get out of here. And yeah, I mean, it was nasty. It was hostile. It really was. I didn't enjoy watching that as much, you know. Listen, you are in the battle, though. You are. Some of us want to step back. And watch. But you know what? It's boring there. It's not a whole lot of adventure there on the sidelines watching. And even more than that, as we were challenged by Ryan, when you're simply watching the battle, you are not fulfilling God's command in your life. And when you don't do what you've been designed to do, Oh, there's misery there. And if you are in Christ, you have been redesigned to be in this battle. Now, we're going to take a look at a special battle moment in the life of Jesus. And there are some things about this passage that are very unique. And we're not going to necessarily walk this walk, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to learn about this hostile environment, and we're gonna learn what it means for us to live in the midst of this hostile environment. We're gonna look at the temptation of Jesus. It's in Matthew chapter 4. We started in the Gospel of Matthew. I told you I love this passage. One of the reasons why I love this passage is this is the very first sermon I ever preached, it was on Matthew chapter four. I was at a youth retreat, the youth pastor asked me to speak. And I said, what do you want me to talk about? He said, I don't know, just pick a passage and talk about it. And I chose Matthew chapter 4. And so this has been one that that I have just enjoyed walking through on many different occasions. Let's jump in and read it. We're in Matthew chapter 4, verse number 1. And let's start in and read this. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now then the devil took him to the holy city. And set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall now put the Lord your God to the test. And again, The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone. Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to Jesus. Now, we are walking into this Gospel of Matthew, and and we've already talked about kind of some of the themes of this Gospel. We're going to focus on it for many months together. But here's the reality, what what it's really about. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king. And with the king comes a kingdom. With that king comes a kingdom. A a future kingdom that will one day be here on earth, an earthy, physical, literal kingdom where Jesus will reign. And we're going to hear all about that in the Gospel of Matthew. But there's also this kingdom that's present even now. And we ourselves are living here in the kingdom of this world as residents of the kingdom of heaven. It's why the Bible calls you an alien, a stranger, a pilgrim, a visitor. Because you are now a new creature if you are in the king. He's made you, he's rebirthed you. And you are now a citizen of heaven, but you find yourself here. So there's many different ways we can go about this passage in Matthew chapter 4. There's a lot of ways we can go about it. But what I want to focus on today primarily is, what's the thought process? What's the worldview? What's the thinking of kingdom people while they're here on earth? What's the? What's our thought? What's our our perspective? How do we view life? What glasses do we put on as we're in this hostile world? Now, a couple realities that I want to talk about, even before we get into the passage, okay? First of all, I want to talk about the reality of the ministry of Jesus. I want you to see what just happened prior to this. Look at the end of chapter 3. Okay, at the end of chapter 3, Jesus is being baptized and when he's baptized, praise God for the baptism last week, that was great. Those people being baptized, that was awesome. Man, I tell you what, that is such a joy. Thank you for being, for, for being here and for being part of that. And, and if, if you need to be baptized, they'll have an opportunity again in a couple months. If you haven't been baptized and, and let your whole family know you're a follower of Christ, do that. Do that. So at Jesus' baptism, there's something special happened. God spoke from Heaven, God the Father spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And immediately after that, Jesus is driven into the wilderness. Matthew says he was led up by the Spirit, okay? But in reality, it is much stronger than that. It is a very strong word for what what God did with Jesus. He is driven into the wilderness. Mark says immediately he was led or driven out into the wilderness. Now, wilderness is not a bunch of trees, it's like a desert. So, this is so, understand the, the ministry of Jesus, what is happening here. And he is now going to fast for 40 days. Luke says he went without food. And so, from that, we gather he probably had something to drink, but no food. 40 days. Also, think about the reality of. Satan he makes an appearance in this passage in verse number one he 's be tempted by the devil. Now the word devil that's the, that's the word your New Testament uses most often for this, this created being, this demon who leads who leads the demonic world it 's not God versus Satan who 's going to win two equal powers. Oh, hopefully God comes through. Satan, or the devil, is a created demon who rebelled against God sometime after the creation, but before the fall. He's rebelled against God because he desires to have glory himself. But listen what the word devil means. And learn from this about the battle. The word devil means liar slanderer. This is what the word devil means. He is a liar. John chapter 8, Jesus called him the father of lies. His method, his tool is deception. He comes to destroy and to kill and to steal and the way he does it is through lies. Deception. Slandering God. Now, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for this one is Satan. And that means accuser is what that primarily means. You can read about it in Job chapter 1. In Zechariah chapter 3, you can read about him coming. He, he, he seeks permission. He comes before God but in the throne room of God. Zechariah pictures Satan there, and he is accusing God's people. And Job, he is accusing Job before God. Look at him, God. Look at him. He slanders, he accuses, he lies and seeks to destroy, and he is a real individual. It's not that he is the force of power or or the presence of evil. He is one who has rebelled against. And look what he's doing in verse number one. He is tempting. He is tempting. He coats his tempting with deception. We're going to see that in just a little bit. I'm going to show you that, but it's just the introduction here as we go into this. He, he coats his temptation with, with a layer of deception. And really his, his goal is to cause man to rebel against God and God's ways. This is what Satan is seeking to do. Now, I'm not suggesting that Satan comes and sits on your shoulder and, you know, is whispering into your ear. No. and that's how Bugs Bunny makes it look, but that's not the reality. In reality, Satan has set up a system, a system that opposes God. And that system we see playing out in front of us all the time. But let's look specifically at this temptation of Jesus. So in verse number two, it says that after fasting for 40 days and nights, Jesus was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of of bread. Now, let's talk about this temptation a little bit. 40 days, 40 nights of, of fasting. Now, it's interesting. Moses did this. Elijah did this. This is something that we see people doing at, at times. And, and, and I'm not recommending that you pull this off or anything like that. But God's Spirit led Jesus to do this. So for 40 days and 40 nights he is out in the wilderness and, and, and the parallel count in Mark and in Luke make it clear that the temptation is going on all the time. So, so God has declared this is my son. And now Jesus then goes into the wilderness and if you will, goes to battle proving who he is. A little fact about this, think about this. Who saw this event? Who was there to watch this? Nobody. Nobody. Matthew's not there taking notes. Mark's not there taking notes. Luke's not there taking notes. The only witness to this battle is Jesus. But he knew that we needed to see this. And to know he was victorious over the powers of darkness. So Matthew, Mark, Luke all contain this account of Jesus taking on sin and showing us where victory is. Now I want you to see here that the first attack that Satan brings is against the very goodness of God. I want to show you that. The tempter comes and says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now this phrase, if, is is interesting. Okay, I know, what could the word if mean? Well, the word if can mean two different things in reality. The Greek word that's translated if can mean two different things. It can mean if or it can mean since. Think about that for a minute. If you are the son of God, command these stones to turn into loaves of bread. In that way, if that's what it's saying, it's almost like Satan is trying to challenge Jesus. Maybe you really aren't the Christ. Maybe you aren't the son of God. Jesus already knows he's the son of God. God from heaven just spoke and said he is his son. See, in reality, this is called a first-class condition. Here's what that means. Satan didn't say if. He said, since. Now I want you to think about what that means. Jesus hungry. 40 days, 40 nights, no food. God has said, this is my son. I am well pleased. This is my son. And now Satan comes and says, since you are the son of God, God, I mean, after all, you're God's son, right? And you're hungry. You've been 40 days and 40 nights without any food. You're out here in the wilderness all by yourself. You've come among these people and become one of these creatures. You were born in a stable to poor parents. You've taken on humanity You grow tired and hungry and thirsty, and you know what's ahead. A cross awaits you, and you will die a wicked death, and you will carry that cross naked through the streets of Jerusalem as all of your people cry out, Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. These are your people. You made them, you spoke, and they existed. You have come before them, and they have rejected you. And you're supposed to be his son, you're the son of God. We just command these stones to become bread. And then you can eat. Satan is saying to Jesus, to the humanity of Jesus, to the man part of Jesus. God has left you alone. He's not good. You can't trust him. You cannot trust him. The goodness of God is being questioned. And, folks, that is the lie of Satan and all of his system. When struggles come our way, when things don't go the way we want, when our heart is broken, when our family is broken, when our body is broken, what do we say? God, you're not good. How could you do this to me? God, you must not be good. It's exactly where Satan went. He is questioning the very goodness of God. Listen, there's nothing wrong with Jesus eating. There's nothing wrong with Jesus taking those, lo- those stones and turning them into bread. there would be nothing wrong with that. Oh, but what's wrong would be if he would turn his back on the goodness of God and respond in the way that Job's wife Tempted him to curse God and die. He's not good. Look what he's done to you. Mm. See what the temptation is? It's not the bread. It's not the stones. It's not even the hunger. The temptation is to question the goodness of God. Listen, we're aliens here. We're strangers here. We don't belong here. We operate under a completely different grading scale. We use a different system of measurement. Good on earth doesn't equal good in God's eyes. Not necessarily. Because good in God's eyes is conforming us to the image of Christ. And that involves, at times struggle. See, God is good and we can trust his care. God is good and he has your good in mind and your good is to be conformed to the image of Christ. Let's go on to the second. Well, you know what? I got to say this. I'm going to run out of time now, but I got to say this. It's very interesting what Jesus does here, okay? All three times Jesus responds with Scripture, but it's, but it's more than he just responds with Scripture. He responds every time out of the same section of Scripture, out of Deuteronomy 8, Deuteronomy 6, and Deuteronomy 6. It's fascinating what he does. It's almost like Jesus was having his quiet time that morning in Deuteronomy 6 through 8. And he responds back with the word of God. But look what he does. He says, "Your man shall not live by bread alone." And we're like, "Oh yeah, well, th- what that means is we can't just have bread. We also have to have the Bible." Okay. And so we we, we so spiritualize this to where it really doesn't mean anything. It's just pastor talk, you know, where I get up front and I say, instead of having a donut, you should have your quiet time. That's what that means. No, it doesn't mean that. In Deuteronomy chapter eight, here's what's happening. The children of Israel have been wandering around in the desert for 40 years. And God wakes them up every morning with what? Manna on the ground. Manna, a bread-like substance on the ground. Okay? And they get tired of it. They get tired of it. They're like bread every morning like our kids do, right? You know? Hot dogs again. You know, They, they, don't, they don't want the same food. It's in that context that God says to the children of Israel, you don't live on bread alone. You live from the word of God, every word that comes out of God's mouth. God says, I'm speaking to you like a father in Deuteronomy 8, like a father instructing his children to whine against my goodness don't complain against my hand. Don't take what I offer you and say I don't like it. Trust him like a father, like a good father. That's where Jesus goes. He's not just randomly picking verses out of the, out of the air. He's taking this, this account and, and bringing it back to us. God is good. You can trust his care. Okay, let's, let's move on to the second one. So then the devil, okay, now he's, he's not done. And again, Luke makes it clear that, that this temptation's going on the whole time, okay? At the end in 4.13, it says that Satan left him for a more opportune time. And this temptation goes on throughout Jesus' earthly ministry. Remember Matthew chapter 16? Peter Peter says to Jesus, oh, no, 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 you're not going to die. No. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. This temptation is going on all the time. He's relentless. He doesn't quit. Because if he can find a chink, if he can make Jesus sin and rebel with him against God, Oh, it's great victory. And that's what he's seeking to do. So look at verse 5. The devil now takes him to the holy city with him set on the pinnacle of the temple. Herod had this pinnacle built at the temple. A 450 drop from the edge of this pinnacle to the ground. James and Acts, James, the the big leader of the church in Acts, the way that they killed him, tradition tells us they took him to that pinnacle and threw him off. And he fell to his death 450 feet. So Satan takes Jesus to that pinnacle at the temple. He says to him, since you are the son of God, first class condition, since you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. See, first he attacked the goodness of God. Now he's attacking the greatness. There's a little bit of a difference. There's a little bit of a difference here. See, Jesus didn't take the bait the first time. He didn't take the bait and, and, and rebel against God and, and provide for himself against the will of God. But now he says, hey Jesus, since you're the son of God, well he's got to cover you, right? He's got to cover you. Go ahead and ahead and let him show you that he'll take care of you. The greatness of God is being questioned now. There's a rebellion being offered against the authority of God. Do this and God has to come through. Jesus says, again it is written, this from Deuteronomy chapter 6, I think it's where Jesus was in his quiet time that morning, okay? And he says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, let's try to understand this a little bit. Let's try to understand this. So he's, he's attacking the greatness of God, and really what he's trying to get him to do, is what, what Jesus is modeling for us, is trusting God's protection. Trusting his protection. Satan's saying, make him prove it. Make him prove it. Make him prove it. And Jesus is saying, I have faith in God. I have faith in God. I I trust his protection. See, now where does this play out in our lives? I see where we we might struggle to, to understand the goodness of God and we might doubt his care, but where does this come in play? Where does man slip up and begin to really presume upon the protection of God? Let me challenge you with something, believer. I hear this. We do this all the time. You wanna know how we do it? Romans six, verse one says this. What may I sin that grace may increase? By no means. So you know that passage, I already know where I'm headed. Sometimes we as believers we give in to the temptation that Satan offers Jesus like this. Well, I'll go ahead and do this thing, this sin, this, this, this direction, this, I'll take this path. Because after all, God's gotta forgive me. I'm a child of God. I'm, I'm gonna be forgiven. I've always got tomorrow. I've put it off, but I've always got tomorrow. Folks, that is, you are questioning the greatness of God. We've been challenged here today to live out the great commission. It's not an option. It's not, hey, when you get the chance, do this. It is God's call on our life, and when we say no, We're saying to God, you're not great. You don't rule. You'll always give me another chance. And we are presuming. We are presuming on the greatness of God. Our God is no little being for us to tinker with. Thats what Satan is saying here. Tinker with him, Jesus. Step off the plant, step off the, the pinnacle here. Let's watch him work. Tinker with him. Mess with him a little bit, Jesus. Mm. Jesus saying, "He is a great God. I'm not going to tinker with him." I'm reminded of the C.S. Lewis uh, children's books. Read those with our kids in years past and on my own. I love them. They're great. And remember, I think it was Lucy. She wanted to pet Aslan. Remember that? She wanted to pet him. And Aslan said, no. No, he's he's not a lion to be played with. You don't pet him. He's a powerful God, you guys. And we need to be careful that we don't fall into this temptation that Satan is given to Jesus. Tinker. Careful what you dabble in? Careful. He's good. God is good, yes. but He is also great. He is not one. Hebrew says he's a consuming fire. He has created a hell for Satan. It wasn't originally designed for man. Hell was made for Satan. But when Satan came and tempted Adam and Eve and they rebelled against God, now in God's holiness he had to be separate. He had to be separate from sinful man. And so the only place for them to go was the absolute avoidance of God and his glory in hell for eternity. He's nothing to be tinkered with, he's nothing to be played with. He's not a clawless lion. He's the God of the universe, and he's great. Okay, the last one, the last one. Let's get there quickly. Now Satan, I mean, Satan drives hard to the basket, okay? there is Before he's deceiving, okay? He's deceiving up to, up to temptation number three. I mean, it's, it's very reminiscent of Genesis chapter three, okay, when Satan tempts Eve and says to Eve, did God really say Remember that? And God knows if you eat from the tree, well, then you're gonna be like him. You know, that's the whole deception of the first two. But the third one, he drives hard to the basket. Look at it. Verse number eight. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said said to him, all these I will give you. The parallels in Mark and Luke They share that Satan said, they've all been given to me to give whom I want to. Wow. This world is not our home. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He gives to those he wants to in this world. Under the sun, here on this planet, in this world system, he gives to who he wants to. My family and I are driving through Idaho this summer. I gotta tell you, I'm riding along and I see Mormon Mormon meeting house, Mormon meeting house, Mormon meeting house, Mormon meeting house all over the place. These big, beautiful brick structures. And I thought, Lord, why don't you just burn these things down? let's just have a big old, you know, tank, drive through these things. Oh, but I was reminded this week, we're not of this world, we're an alien here. Satan can give to whoever he wants power, prestige, money, popularity. And he says to Jesus, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Jesus doesn't say, you can't do that. Jesus doesn't say, that is not yours to give. Nope. Look what he does. Jesus says, get out of here. Be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Here, Satan is attacking the rule of God, the rule of God. And and what we need to take from this is that we can trust God's promise. We can trust his promise. You know, there's a quick solution here. Satan says to Jesus, you know, just take the easy road. Just take the easy road. There's a path of least resistance. He, Jesus is going to have all the glory on earth. He's going to. And Satan is offering him an easy road. Just take this easy road and you will have all of this. But what Jesus is modeling to us is that we will trust his promise. We will trust his promise. We will trust his care. We will trust his protection. And now we will trust his promise. Jesus says you or we shall worship the Lord our God only, and him alone only shall we serve. Again, another quote from Deuteronomy chapter six, but here's the challenge, and here's the truth. We as followers of Christ, we as, as residents of the kingdom of heaven, no matter what comes our way, we will trust the care of God and the goodness of God. God is good. And we must tell ourselves that, you guys. We have to tell ourselves that. I've got several things here. I wanted to throw one on here at the end, okay? We've got to know the word of God. We've got to know the word of God. Because in the word of God, we find the character of God. And in the character of God, we find the trust of God. And we've got to be in God's word so we know his character. So when lies come at us, I say, no, he's good. No, he's good. Everything good comes from the Father, down from lights not from this earth. We have to answer the trials that come our way with the goodness and the character of God. Oh. We will trust his protection. We do not live for this planet, and his protection may include the very loss of our life. But we will trust his protection because we will trust his promise. Listen, I can tell you a promise straight out of God's word the enemy comes to destroy to steal and to kill that is Satan's desire but Jesus has come that you and I might have life and life to the full let's pray Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your will. Thank you for the battle that Jesus won on this day in the garden at the cross from the tomb at the right hand of the father. Lord, you have won the victory over sin and death and you have brought us you have you have brought us into that victory. I pray, Lord, we would see the lies of Satan in this world for what they are. Attacks on your goodness, attacks on your greatness, attacks on your rule. Instead, we will be children of God who trust you, our heavenly Father. Oh, Lord, thank you for pursuing us. And I pray that we will be used of you to chase others down with your goodness.